0: Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. You know, every time we have our podcast, I feel like I'm the one that gets the most out of this. And I had someone ask recently, you know, how's the podcast stuff going? And I said to them, you know, I I did not anticipate how much this was going to mean to me, to be able to just have time talking with people who who want to make a difference. And today is one of those special days that I'm looking forward to because the person I'm talking to is someone that uh, everybody, when they heard about our podcast starting, said, you've got to get Amy uh, Downs on this show because she represents, she embodies so much of what the show is about. And so today, I'm really excited to introduce to everybody someone that just has an inspiring perspective on life and an inspiring story that's behind that. Amy, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So Amy lives and in, 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 in works in Oklahoma City. I don't know where she lives necessarily, but she works in Oklahoma City and is someone that in the state of Oklahoma, when you look at people who are just viewed as heroic. She's one of those. And and a lot of her story became known following uh, the bombing in 1995 of the Murrah Federal Building. And that really launched her story. But her story is so interesting to me because that tragedy that I hope she'll speak to is the beginning of a story that if that had not happened to her, the other part of her story If 1995, that tragedy had not occurred, the rest of your story alone would be why you're on the show. It happens to be, however, that both of these things are a part of your life. And so we're 25 years out from what happened um, with the act of terrorism in the United States with the Murrah building. Amy, tell us about your life, and you can go back as far as you would like, but what was life like for you growing up?
1: Um, well, growing up, I was very blessed to grow up in a, a middle-class home in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, had a big family. I was the the last of five children. I think I came along a little uh, not planned. <laughs> and um, grew up in a faith-based Christian home. And, you know, really had an, uh, I don't know, I think an uneventful um, childhood childhood. You know, one thing that I look back now and I see that the kind of the time period of when I was growing up and being maybe in the South, um, there was really not a lot of emphasis on women um, moving into careers. You know, um I knew like my sister had become a nurse. And you know I knew some that were teachers or nurses, but mostly the focus or what I thought was that you grow up and you marry, a man and a man takes care of you and you're a homemaker and nothing wrong with that. I'm not downplaying that. I think that's a, a wonderful, um, you know, area for a lot of women to make a huge impact in our world, but it just, my, uh, mind never gave thought to that. I would, you know, could have a career. So I never would have seen the day coming where I actually was a leader of an organization. Um, so my life was really kind of uneventful. Um, I, you know, as a young person, kind of hit a rough patch. Actually, I went to college and I flunked out. So I could not pass a remedial math class. So I flunked out of college and was sort of floundering. I had a breakup. Um, and my sister lived in Oklahoma City. And she's like, you need a fresh start. Why don't you come to Oklahoma City? So this is 1988. And later, um, our former mayor, Mick Cornett, said, so you're the only person that actually moved to Oklahoma City in 1988 <laughs> because that was when we were having, you know, we were on the end of the oil bust and financial institutions were failing. And what do I do? I moved to Oklahoma City to work for a financial institution in 1988. <laughs> so that was my start in Oklahoma City. And I had been working for the credit union, which was in the Myrtle as you said, and it was on the third floor for seven years um, in 1995. And the credit union I worked for was a small financial institution that was designed to serve just the federal employees. So we served the people in the building. There was only 33 of us and mostly women. And our CEO was a woman. And so this was really my sort of social group because this is before cell phones and social media. So when I moved away from Shreveport, Louisiana, this was my new home. This was my new So that's what my life was like pre-bombing, just really kind of, um, you know, uneventful, if you will. And I, at that point of having worked for the credit union for seven years, I had really gotten into a very complacent life. And I was, I had gained 200 pounds and just pretty much went to work, came home, Eight Cheetos, sitting on the couch watching TV. Got up and did it the next day again. So my hobbies were eating and watching TV, and I had an extra two hundred pounds to show for it.
0: So you're, you're, if I have the timeline right, you're you're 28 years old uh, when the, the world changed, uh, at least for people in Oklahoma, uh, and has, has remained changed. Uh, Oklahoma has has never been the same following what happened on that April day. So you're 28 years old at the time. Tell me about that 28 year old version of you, you described yourself a bit. What's the mindset of Amy Downs as a 28 year old?
1: You know, my mindset was um, that I was a failure. So I, you know, grew up again in the South where in the, where I grew up in the South. Okay. Women like put on makeup and fix their hair to go to the grocery store. Like the bigger your hair was back in the day, like the more powerful you were. So looks were very, very important. And here I gained 200 pounds and I flunked out of college. So I didn't, wasn't smart, clearly. I didn't have looks. I did like, what, what was my worth? And so I really was, um, you know, struggling. But I had a mentor. My first mentor was my boss. I'd moved into the credit card department at the credit union. And she was a mentor to me. And she was really teaching me some things. And you know, trying to speak into my life to do things with excellence, and that I was more than my dress size, and that I could be more, and that I needed to grow. She was trying to teach me how to grow. And uh, in, in fact, last night I was going through some old memorabilia, and I found a card from her, and talking about how the woods would be very silent if the only birds that sang there were the birds that sang the very best, and that was her way of telling me, like strive you know do it don't worry that you're you're falling short or you can be more like go do you know don't just sit back and well I can't be the best so I'm not going to do anything
0: uh, i love that and watching the uh, interviews of um, you and the story about what happened on that day um, in in preparation for our conversation today uh, she was in a number of those interviews uh, talking about you and about what you meant to her and, and the investment that she uh, was making in you. And you could still hear in her, her voice that she thought Amy was somebody that could do something. And to, to watch what happened from that point forward isn't, isn't a, an amazing story. So, so here you find yourself in that spot where mm-hmm. you don't just gain 200 pounds because you think that's a good idea. Uh, you are in pain you are, uh, have concluded, I've done the math, uh, so to speak, no pun intended, but I've done the math and I'm not good at math. I, I'm not going to succeed academically. The relationships are challenging. I'm, and, and here I am. And so you, you find yourself in that spot and then the world changed. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about that. So,
1: you know, at 9.02 a.m., that's when the bomb went off that killed 168 people and changed so many lives forever. And, you know, you were, you were talking about how this moment that happened in my life actually was a turning point for me, which is really messy because when you think about that was a horrible thing, a lot of people were killed and it was awful, but yet, you know, there were some things that came out of that in my life that were good for me. And that's a very uncomfortable uh, conversation. Um, When I was, I was, I fell three floors when the bomb went off and I was actually buried alive for about six and a half hours. And during that time, they located me and I'm thinking they're going to get me out. And this is when everyone starts yelling, there's another bomb, there's another bomb, everybody get out now. And my rescuers had to leave me. So I'm completely buried alive. I can't see anything. I cannot move. It's very hard to breathe. And I've just been told a bomb's getting ready to go off. So I had about 45 minutes of what some people might call life flashing before your eyes, come to Jesus meeting. Like it's moments where I am ready to die. And I'm realizing with such clarity how I should have spent my life. And that I had not been living my life intentionally, on purpose. I wasted it. And I had so much regret. So coming out of that, now it's not like I came out of the bombing and said, oh, let's go on this journey of transformation. I mean, it was a very messy, very difficult uh, several years ahead of me. 18 of our 33 employees were killed. Um, We had to rebuild our credit union. I mean, it was some difficult times. But, you know, right now what's going on as we're doing this podcast today is we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And our old normal has changed. We're all sick of hearing the term unprecedented and old normal and new normal. But you know what? That's what we went through in 1995 in Oklahoma City because that event was unprecedented and we lost our old normal, and we had to figure out a new normal. So what I found in hindsight looking back is these horrible situations that we don't want, we didn't ask for, but they happen, and they're there, um, can create opportunities for you. And that's an uncomfortable, I think, conversation to have. But it's true. Crisis often provides an opportunity for clarity, a lot of times during a crisis, you really can see the things that need to be fixed. And for me, that's what happened. I saw the things that needed to be fixed. And for the rest of my life, I feel that I'm living on borrowed time. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And so it has colored and changed the way I look at things. And you know, my son said to me, one day he was in middle school, and he was having to write a paper about the bombing. And he came in the living room and he said, Mom, you know what I just realized? If the bombing hadn't happened, I wouldn't be born. And he goes, so really, it's like a good thing for me. And I was like, immediately, I was horrified. And it just made my stomach turn. And I said, no, no, that's not true. I mean, I just almost jumped on it. And he, he left kind of confused. And I sat there thinking about that uncomfortable comment. and realizing. He's possibly right. I was never going to have children, and the moment I thought I was going to die was when I realized, wow, I've I've never been a mom, and maybe I actually want to be a mom, and that was something that out of that I realized this is what I want for my life, and so yeah, it's kind of a messy thought, and I think it's interesting that you kind of spoke to that.
0: I'm a part of a group of executive coaches that um, are connected to the Institute of Coaching at the Harvard. A medical school and the woman who leads that, the founder of it, is Dr. Carol Kaufman. And so every Monday during this pandemic, we all get together on a Zoom meeting to talk about what are people dealing with and how to handle some of those things. And Dr. Kaufman focused on the idea that uh, PTSD is the wrong way to think about what we're going through right now, and that um, about 70% of people who go through a major crisis look back on that and say it was a time of great growth that they would not want to go through it again if they could help it, but it changed them in a positive way. And so she says, instead of thinking about PTSD, try to think about PTG of post-traumatic growth and that the focus should be on the G. How do we get to post-traumatic growth? Because for most people, that's a possibility. And so you do come out of that messy situation. And I don't know any leaders who don't have a story that has a messy part in it, that there is no easy way to get where you are. And as much as we would like to have people avoid those challenges, those challenges uh, are, (laughs) I'm sure they exist, but I've never met a leader that I thought I would follow them who did not have a story that was messy. And so you go through that messy time, you go through that trauma and choose to focus on the G part of that post traumatic growth. And so there you are, you're getting through that. And then you start seeing something that is changing within you. Describe what starts to happen as you start recognizing that there is a life ahead of you.
1: Well, I was very involved in the rebuilding of the credit union. So the People we lost were so close to me. Um, I've been blessed to have several women mentor me and men in my life. And my boss at the time of the bombing um, was my first mentor. And she was killed. All the supervisors were killed. So I quickly got thrown into a supervisor position, frankly, because I survived. (laughs) I mean, honestly, that was my qualification. Then
0: then let me step in there. I misspoke earlier. The person I was referring to Mm -hmm. was your co uh, coworker who uh, was was, and uh, evidently pretty near to you as this was happening. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. So, um, I so so the rebuilding of the credit union sort of took on this. Uh, I don't know. Really, um, like we have to survive because if we don't survive, it's like they died in vain. I mean, all of a sudden took on like this this very noble like like if the credit union goes under, it means their lives didn't matter. You know, and so. I was very consumed with making sure that we survived. Well, fast forward a few years and um, I, we were having success. We, we had navigated through and we were growing and we were becoming very successful. And I'm thinking, why can I be amazing at work and my personal life sucks? Like, well, how come I can do all these amazing things here, but I can't over here? And I was learning at work, you know, um, how to execute, how to have vision, how to execute on that vision. And I thought, why can't I apply the same thing to my personal life? And I still had those feelings and thoughts and dreams from when I was buried in the rubble that I want to live my life different. I just didn't know how to make it happen. So one day I pulled out a, a note card and thought, okay, I'm just going to treat this like a work project. And one of the things that had been bothering me was that I, I wanted to go back to school but I didn't even know where to start. My grade point average was 0.50. Like I didn't even want anybody to know. I didn't, I mean, it was, it was very overwhelming thought to go back to school, but I took that note card out. and I wrote, I want to go back to college. And on the other side of it, I wrote down every little step from the very first step, make a phone call to LSU S and get that transcript, that horrible, embarrassing transcript, figure out what college I can afford that has hours that I can attend around work, you know, all the things. And um, I did it. And when I did it and I got my degree, my confidence was, at that point, I was like, okay, y'all, I'm running for president of the United States. Like, I can do anything. I felt so just alive that, wow, I don't have to be the, you know, lazy let's call it lazy, you know, person that blames everybody else for their problems. Like I can actually make my own path, set this goal and have the willpower, the agency, the the break it down and do the thing. And the feeling was amazing. So it sort of started bleeding over into a lot of different areas. And and it just sort of exploded from that point. All it took was that one win. It, It just really took that one win for me to see and have Confidence in myself that I can do
0: it. I love it. Um, going back to the the phrase you used a moment ago, you said I was lazy. Um, do you think you were lazy, or do you think you were broken?
1: I was uh, both. Mm-hmm. I was both. And I mean, I look back and, and I do see it. I'm not. It's not a put. I'm not trying to uh, give myself a put down. I'm just. It's the truth. You know, I, I was a little bit. Of, I, It was just easier to let other people do the hard things. And yeah, I would have been content to look for someone to, you know, rescue me, take care of me. And I often did. And in fact, I kind of explored a lot of that when I was writing my book about the ways that I had unfairly put other people, like wanting them to fix me. You know, and you can't look for that, not in a partner, not in a job, not in anything. The path is within you.
0: You're the one. So you you have that moment, you get that degree and now you're contemplating, you know, the White House seems like a pretty good fit for you. You've got Mm -hmm. these, these, uh, you've started something, something has been awakened. Yeah. So what happens, uh, what happens after that? You get the degree.
1: So after that, I decided, you know what, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get my MBA. Like, I'm not even stopping. Like I'm just staying on this momentum. And then I'm like, oh, and by the way, this 200 pounds, like, what are we going to do about that? And I... Uh, developed some really great research skills at the college I attended. Shout out to Southern Nazarene University. They really teach you a lot of researching. And so I started, you know, really thinking about this and going, okay, let's look at it like a work project. Let's quit getting emotional and, oh, you're bad. You're a failure. You're horrible. You can't, let's just look at this like a work project that's failing. Like this project's failing. Why is it failing? What do we need to do different? And so um, in doing the research, I discovered there are a lot of amazing medical breakthroughs. One of them was a new surgery called a gastric sleeve. And I thought, you know, I think I need medical help. And my mentor at the time was the CEO of the credit union. She was amazing, is amazing. Like I still call on her and I asked her about it and I said, but I know people are going to judge me and I just, I don't know. I know people are going to think I failed or think I took the easy way. And she looked at me and she said, look, if you have a destructive habit that is keeping you from living your life, you do whatever it takes to get free. And you don't care what another person thinks about you. And it was like, wow. And I respected her so much. And it was like, wow, this leader just gave me permission to do whatever I need to do to get myself free. And I gave it a lot of thought, a lot of prayer and I decided to do it. I educated myself on everything and um, decided that's what I was going to do. And they, the surgeons uh, warned me. They were like, this is not a magic thing. You're still going to have to change your life. You're going to have to do all the things. And I'm like, I'll do whatever. I'll do it. I'll do it. And about a year after the surgery, the weight that I'd lost about 75 pounds stopped and a few pounds creeped back on because I really hadn't truly changed my life. And I'm like, okay, I really have to do something. So that's when I decided, okay, we've got to do the thing again. We've got to pick the big hairy goal. We've got to join a gym. We've got to go to the gym. We've got to, you know, we got to change some stuff. And I started on that path. And along the way, um, my sister was a cyclist. and introduced me to riding a bicycle. And I got on a bicycle for the first time since I was a kid. And I remember on uh, one of the bike rides, we rode all the way around like half. And again, the confidence was through the roof. Our Lake Hefner um, is about 9.6 miles, I think, for those that don't know what I'm talking about. Um, And it's a trail. And we rode around that lake. And I'm like, where is my freaking medal? I am like, I'm Lance Armstrong. I am somebody better come up and give me the medal because I just rode 10 miles, my bike 10 miles. (laughs) And so, again, that confidence was just like, oh, my gosh. Like this girl who weighed 355 pounds has lost enough weight to fit on a bicycle. And I just rode my bicycle 10 miles. Like, what else am I going to do? And then th- that just sparked this le- I call it leveling up, just this constant leveling up. Okay, what's next? What's next? Which has led to in 2017, I turned 50 and I'm like, well, what do I do? Like, I need to do something big. And so I had been leveling up. So I, for the past 10 years, I've been riding my bicycle Across the entire state of Oklahoma, every year it takes a week. I do it every year, and you know running marathons. I learned to swim, and so I've done a few triathlons. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do an Ironman. I'm doing an Ironman, which is a 2.4 mile swim, followed by a 112 mile bike ride, followed by a 26.2 marathon. And you have to do it all within certain time cuts, and all within 17 hours for the voice of Ironman Mike Riley to declare. You are an Iron Man. And I did it. Now, I came in last, but I did it.
0: I love it. I, mean, I ma- did it. Matter of fact, and I love so, that you came in yeah. last. That, the fact that you came in last, mm-hmm. to me, even adds more to it of it's not about that. It's about mm-hmm. you deciding who you wanted to be, and you yeah. pursued it. Keep going. I,
1: I would even say people who come in last, oftentimes, they have the greater struggle. Because, you know, um, if you are sort of back of the pack, and I don't necessarily mean the triathlon. It might mean your organization, maybe in the competition of who, whatever organization you're leading, maybe you're the back of the pack. Back of the pack is a place that takes incredible mental strength, you know, to talk positively, to look for the opportunities because you're limited. You know, if it's an organization, maybe you're limited on cash. For me, back of the pack at a triathlon, I had... I'm you know, older, my knees were bad. I wasn't a fast athlete. I had challenges, you know? So, um, yeah, it takes a lot of strength to come in line and to do it because there's a lot of people that go, Oh, I'm not coming in. Line. I'm not going to, they're not going to do it because they don't think they're going to be the first person. So.
0: so, so talk about your role with the credit union now and how that has translated to help you as a leader.
1: So I have worked for the credit union for 32 years, long enough that that's now embarrassing and I contemplate lying about it sometimes. 32 years, really? I have worked there longer than a lot of our employees are even, yeah, they're not even (laughs) that old. Um, I love it. I love what we do. It's people helping people. I feel like everything that's happened in my life at the credit union has prepared me to lead in our current environment right now. It's because of the mentorship that I've had. Um, the CEO at the time of the bombing, I did not realize how much I absorbed watching her lead. I called her the other day to tell her, I said, you know, I think it's like your parents. You know how, like, if you ever have kids, you catch yourself doing the thing your, your mom or dad did that you said you would never do. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just said that thing to my kid that I said I was, because it just instinctively is there. Well, I've noticed some of the things that I've done had been instinctive that I saw, you know, our CEO at the time of the bombing do or the CEO that came a year after the bombing that had to lead us through the difficult years that followed. I learned a lot from them. So um, I think that's been really good for our credit union, um, those experiences.
0: So let me ask you a a few final questions and then uh, I'm trying to focus on just like a minute Responses or or fewer because I want to hit a a number of things real quickly here. Um, And I'm so grateful for your time. Anybody who is in banking right now, the amount of pressure on you is just so significant. And so thank you for this time. If you were talking to an emerging leader, someone who is recognizing that that's a way that they could serve, they could help open doors of opportunity for other people, and they are just now beginning that part of the journey. What advice would you give them?
1: Find other leaders that either are in the position you want or that you respect and admire and try to get a little time with them. You know, maybe ask to go to lunch every so often, be thoughtful of their time and think about the questions you want to ask them and create an opportunity for mentorship. Create an opportunity to be coachable, to learn from them. I think that's one of the best things you can do is just try to surround yourself with people that you want to be like.
0: You clearly have a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And I know that everybody's a blend of the two, but you've chosen to really push on the growth mindset, which means you don't give up easily. You look at the path to new opportunities requires determination and hard work. What would you say to somebody who has a fixed mindset and is trying to develop the growth mindset?
1: I would say that, again, it's what you're listening to and what you're absorbing. So if it's not coming natural to you, I would seek out um, some good podcasts, some content that you can put into your mind, maybe at the start of every day, so that it can become that habit for you. Because it wasn't always for me either. But once you start listening to these thoughts and these ideas, it gets into your head, it gets into your soul and you'll start acting on those things. But it starts with what you tell yourself. It starts with your mind. So I think it's really important the voices you're listening to.
0: You know, a big part of um, what I focus on in executive coaching, and it's a privilege to be able to have these types of conversations, but we focus on uh, who they really want to be. And when we're, we're having those discussions, it's not often about the vision of who they can be. It is them having to stop believing what they've believed in the past to allow that future to emerge. And so when you think about if our actions are always connected to our beliefs, if I want to change those beliefs, what beliefs did you have to change to be able to start moving forward?
1: Okay. So my, I'm trying to make this fast, but our CEO at the time said to me one day, Amy, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? That magic wand thing has served me to this day. I do it all the time. So I start with, if I had a magic wand, what would that look like? And just to pull out something random to be silly, We're in the middle of the COVID quarantine. I haven't had my hair colored in however long. So I'm like, well, if I had a magic wand, I would have a hairstylist, germ-free fairy just show up at the house and they would do my hair. Okay. So given your current situation, what is one thing you can do to move toward what you're wanting? What I'm wanting is I'm wanting my hair. So, okay, I'm going to go to Mr. Google. I'm going to Google YouTube videos. I'm going to Google what I need to do about my hair. And I'm going to start making an action list of what I need to do. So for me, it's again that clarity, that that getting clear and having that belief system has to change because you have to allow yourself to imagine. What do I really want if I had a magic wand? Don't think about how. Just think about it first. What would you really want? And then... Back into the smallest, what can I do right now? And then just if you just start focusing on that, it'll change what you believe about yourself when you start accomplishing things that will change your belief.
0: I love that. I love how practical uh, that is. And thank you for uh, sharing that with us. I'm going to ask you a question that um, may make you uncomfortable, but I like to ask this of our guests What's the best compliment you've ever received?
1: You look really skinny in that outfit. Thing. I do like that <laughs> um, um, I was going through um, some memorabilia last night and taking pictures to scan it and put it on my Dropbox. And uh, mm-hmm. I saw some notes from my son telling me that I'm the most inspiring person he's ever met. And um, he tells me that there's things he wants to accomplish He has a lot of dreams. He's very goal-oriented. And he tells me that I'm his coach. So I think when I feel like something I can share helps another person say, you know what, if she did that, then I can do this. And they reach out and they tell me and I have that happen a lot. It feels so good. Like this person did this thing and they had it in them to do it anyway. But I was just sort of that extra push to tell them you can do it.
0: So recently you just uh, finished a book, which I so appreciate that you did this, because it takes a lot of time and effort to to write a book, and especially one that is not um, on an academic topic alone, but it's really focused on memories and things like that. And I say that both of those types of books are really helpful, but this one requires you to take an emotional journey to write the book. And so your book, Hope is a Verb, Tell us about that book and tell us where we can get access to it.
1: Um, Hope is a verb is right now on Amazon where all the things live. Um, And the book was 10 years in the making because I really wanted to be clear on the message. I didn't want the message to just be, look at me, look at what all I've done. But like, what, how can this help somebody? So um, my nephew was my collaborator and helped me put this together in a way that our hope is that it helps the reader with their life and put some things in perspective. And the idea is I'm I'm sharing. It's not just about the bombing. I'm I'm sharing my life and Lord have mercy. You're right. That's a difficult thing. It feels a little bit like you're stepping up on a stage, taking off all your clothes and saying, "Okay, what do you think? (laughs) You know, you're just putting it all out there. But if there is something that somebody else can learn and grow from something that you've been through, you know, I think that's our job to share it, whether that's a book or a conversation with somebody or whatever that is. And um, the book is about, hope is a verb that means action and hope is something you do. It's a pathway you create. And so um, hopefully it's something that just kind of inspires you to figure out what that path is for yourself and take it.
0: As the CEO of Allegiance Credit Union now, if somebody wants to be a part of that team, if they want to do business with you, what's the best way to connect with Allegiance?
1: The best way to connect with us right now is all things virtual. (laughs) So our website is acuok.org, and we do all the things online.
0: Fantastic. Amy, I am so thankful. Uh, to have this time with you today. You are clearly someone who has uh, chosen to build bridges for people. And one of the things that I repeat often because it was so meaningful to me is that uh, I was told once that humility always connects people and arrogance always separates them. Mm -hmm. And your humility of recognizing the mentors who have been a part of your life, to recognize the the role that you play in other people's lives, I, I just appreciate so much. Uh, who you are, uh, what you represent and and I agree with your son that you are someone that is uh, heroic that that your choice to persevere in suffering produces hope and when people have hope it's amazing what they can do. so Amy, thank you for being a part of our show today. Um, strata leadership, we provide assessments, coaching, and training to help. Elevate Life. And this program is meant to create a community where we can discuss things that matter with people who want to make a difference. And so for you as a leader today, recognize that it is the role of a leader to set the pace and to set the tone. So today, set the pace. Glad that you're a part of our show today. We look forward to seeing you next time.